Papermen meet such interesting people. Coming up on the Media Project, a half hour of commentary with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fessfeld, and me, Rex Smith. We'll talk about how the media can respond to Republican media restrictions. We'll talk about Google and Facebook perhaps being pushed to pay for content that it takes from the media and why CNN is suddenly under fire for killing its press program. That and a lot more are coming up on The Media Project next. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. So the Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis in which some uh, veteran media folk give you their thoughts on what's going on in recent days. I'm Rex Smith here with Ira Fessfeld, Rosemary Armeo, and the inimitable Dr. Alan Shartok. I may be an inimitable, but I can tell you right now, I always come last when you read off the list. <laughs> and I resent it, sir. Well, you'll get over it. And I'm sure that you're first in the hearts of WAMC listeners, Alan, you know. Uh, so we try to keep you in line a little bit so that you don't get uh, swelled head or anything. It's so kind of you to say. Glad to help. Glad to help. By the way, let's just start out with a letter from a listener. It was really quite interesting from a listener named uh, Edie. Edie writes, why do newspapers announce a person's death in the present or present perfect tense instead of the past tense? For example, the Times headline, Anne Hesch, actress known for the 90s film roles, dies at 53. The present tense is used for something that happens every day. For example, some of Mike Sells die every day. <laughs> Rosemary, you used to be an editor. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. The present perfect tense is used when something starts in the past and continues it's into the present. For example, I have eaten oatmeal for breakfast for the past six years and still do today. 
So I laugh when I read that someone has died. If the Yankees play the Mets and the Yankees win, the headline would say Yankees, Yankees beat win. or Yankees yeah. win. And if somebody dies yesterday, then the headline similarly would be Joe Smith dies. Why wouldn't it be Joe Smith Because died. you don't use past tense in there's headlines. A, there's a prejudice to use the present tense, so it seems timely and, yeah. uh, and on point. Ah, so, well, it, but it's really a supposition, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. A, yeah. yeah. Well, I say it's Dying? great that I had Spanish class ah. because I never quite learned <laughs> English usage until I had oh. Spanish. And then I found out there's something called a past tense, right. a pluperfect, and that kind of thing. And that's why language classes are so important. Well, there you go. And in, in French class, you learn the passé composé, and that helps you learn English. I, I only remember one thing from Spanish class in high school, oye el timbre, which meant there is the bell. And that <laughs> <the> class was <laughs> over. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll avoid that story about the guy looking for seafood in Boston who asked a taxi driver where a guy can get scrod. <laughs> so that, uh, you know. I never heard it asked for in the blueprint of jumping. There you go. All right. Anyway, so here is a more serious topic. Not that we don't consider grammar serious. And thank you, Edie, for bringing it up. A very interesting topic because verb tenses help us to understand events. And so that does make a difference. But it is essentially just custom. Actually, one of the interesting things is television. Remember how television news doing teases before would leave out the actual verbs? They would say, president with statement about climate, you know, verb at 11. Uh, well, if you look, go back to Ovitz. So first, first of all, look at the New York Times on a daily basis. The lead headline on the obituary page does use the word dies or whatever mm -hmm. word it wants to use. Any other Ovitz on that page only include the name, perhaps, you know, Joe Smith, uh -huh. comma, 97, diplomat. So you're talking about obituary headlines. There should be a verb in a headline, but in obituaries, there are often no verbs. It's just the name. Hmm. Maybe the verb died. <laughs> or dies. All right. There is some concern about the future of CNN because it has uh, now moved into new hands. Warner Brothers Discovery, which is an amalgam itself, has taken over CNN now. And there are changes coming as a result of a new president, uh, Chris Licht, who's been installed. But there are many people who feel as though there's, quote, a dumpster fire, as one newsletter put it, in what is going to happen to CNN. One of the questions has to do with the fact that their they're very knowledgeable media commentator, Brian Selter, who used to be a media writer for the New York Times, that he has just been fired and his show has been let go. So why should we care about that at CNN? First of all, Rex, since you're the guy with all the answers, what's the reason he got fired? Was there a reason given? We don't know whether or not he chose not to stay once they killed the Reliable Sources no, program, but no, it seems clear that he was fired. The broader question is why did they cancel Reliable Sources, which was not only a good program and a comprehensive program, but it was doing very well in the ratings. It was the top-rated show on the Sunday lineups. So there is a philosophical presumption that this is a philosophical decision that's going to try to move CNN from what many perceive as too far left to at least the center or perhaps to the right. Big stockholder in the new owners of CNN is John Malone, who's a libertarian, uh, a big, big Trump donator. 
and he has long said he wants CNN to be central. And Brian Seltzer became, that show was famous during the Trump years for pointing out his abuse of the press, his abuse of our intelligence, of all things anti-Trumpian. And he became a target, as have several other newscasters and anchors, Don Lemon and Jim Acosta come to mind. So what's happening now is, I think, clearly political. And Chris Licht and John Malone say, no, no, it has nothing to do with that. You know, we just want to get back to real news. Chris Licht uh, being the head of CNN. Correct. Mm -hmm. Under the new owners, right. And it's just to get back to real news and less opinionated news. There's some thought it could be monetary because there's money in that centrist position. Go after independents and even Fox News viewers, which is ridiculous. No, Fox viewers are going to switch from Fox to CNN. And there are other signs, too, of this weakening of an old stance. Licht wants to end the use of saying the big lie to refer to election denial. He hasn't mandated that, but he's made it uh, clear that that is what he prefers. So I think that there is a weakening at CNN, and this is an opportunity for Fox. It will only strengthen Fox. It's a loss. And I was disappointed that Brian Seltzer didn't go after what was happening more strongly than he did when given a chance to say goodbye. Well, he was pretty classy about it because they they let him air a final show after his firing. And most of the time, broadcast would not allow that because you wouldn't know what they might say. And they didn't check his script and he thanked him for that. But classy does not work against Trump and his ilk. We have seen that over and over again. So I was disappointed he went that way. Here are the words of Brian Seltzer. It's not partisan to stand up for decent and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisans to stand up to demagogues. It's required. It's patriotic. So that's pretty strong. That's pretty great. No, he did. That was one thing in a long statement. And he didn't say that I've been accused of being partisan. This program has been. So it leaves us free to debate whether, oh, are they doing this? Why do you think they're doing this? It's clear why they did it. We're not saying it. Do you disagree that CNN was perceived and may well have been to the left of center and it's a admirable goal to say let's be more centrist? But why Brian Seltzer's show? Why not those panels that are on Anderson Cooper's show, for yeah. example? Well, I think they this are, was, right? They're going away from well, well, that commentary, supposedly, toward Seltzer, more reporting. Seltzer was an actual target of John Malone before mm-hmm. this. Well, he's been a target of, of Fox for quite a while Correct. because he's been so critical of Fox. And typically when Fox has criticized Stelter, it's not just been criticizing him philosophically. Right. They call him Humpty Dumpty. They right. make they fun make of fun. his weight. And also the guy who used to be the host of Reliable Sources, yes. before Brian Seltzer, is now on Fox. And he had a really snarky comment on his show saying, well, I, I well have... you know, for fairness, that's what I stood for there, and now you're going to find it here. This is the only me. Well, oh, it's fun. I missed that. I, I wondered if because I've been yeah. making a joke for a while. Is whatever happened to Howard Kurtz? Because yeah. there's a guy on that channel who looks like and sounds like Howard Kurtz, but the Howard Kurtz that the industry respected was the one who worked for the Washington Post and and then worked on reliable sources on CNN. When he went to Fox, Howard Kurtz disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely he had, right. And he had no no trouble at all making a snarky comment. And, and it was clear. It was crowing about a victory. And that's political. But what happens here is this actually elevates Brian Stelter in a way. Who is going to be his next employer? Don't you think that it will put more of a spotlight on him, make him even more? Because he's been doing this for nine years. The, the show has been for 30. And it's crazy, of course, to kill a media show when there is even more power concentrated in these uh, major media organizations than there has been before. But even in that case, I think Brian Stelter, I I would be very interested to see where he goes next. Well, there's plenty of 
potential places for him. But leaving CNN, I don't know that he's going to find a platform as significant as that. Yeah, probably true. But the question then does become what happens next at CNN? And if you look at an investment in these journalism outlets as a purely financial thing, you can see why CNN, why Discovery, that is the new owner, wants to see changes at CNN because it has not been as profitable as Fox. So maybe they want to make changes just to make money, which, by the way, goes to this whole question of shouldn't we have changes so that publicly traded companies more frequently are able to take matters other than the bottom line into consideration, such as European corporations are. Uh, The United States has this uh, system that basically rewards only profit, whereas the community responsibility ought to be more in keeping with what investors should be looking for. Well, I give Chris credit for one thing that he has done, and which is to remove the frequent use of breaking news on the Chiron. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. An event happens at 10 o'clock in the morning, it's not breaking news at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And they finally have noticeably gotten rid of that. Yeah. So anyway, to uh, Brian Selter's point, the other thing he said is, we must make sure we don't give platform to those who are lying to our faces. And that will be a charge. That is Fox News. That is Fox News. And let's see what happens at CNN as it goes forward. Are they going to give a platform to those who lie to our faces? Because there are many, many of them across the country right now who are lying to us and know they're lying to us. That's, That's why I can't understand journalists who don't hold politicians to account for supporting the Trump big lie. Anyway, we would welcome your thoughts on this, media at wamc.org. Any further thoughts on that, Alan, before we go to the next topic? No, but I think we've covered the waterfront here, and I do believe that there's an awful lot of lying that goes on, specifically from the right. But I am wondering whether or not lying has gotten out of hand across the board. Hmm. You mean whether the citizens are actually responding to it more now? You think is no, that I your sense? No, I think people lie because they can get away with it, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what's been happening. Thank goodness we have Rosemary who calls it out when she sees it. <laughs> yes, that's good. If there it's were, not enough. it's not enough. We need to have reporters and editors, commentators and anchors, even beginning little local reporters in tiny television markets call it out when they have a member of Congress who stands up and says something uh, that isn't true. Yeah. These little local TV reporters need to get a backbone. Well, that's well, tough. They, for, that's <laughs> tough to do when you're beginning your yeah. career, as is typically the case with smaller channels, and it takes quite a bit of gumption. I'll use that word instead of another one that to to make them want to do that. Yeah. And risk their their. What was the employment. other word? Did it have the, to do with the male anatomy? Yes. Oh. <laughs> that, and it's not just because we want to see reporters elevate or anything. Defending the press is essential to defending democracy. If you don't have an aggressive, thoughtful press that insists upon on truth-telling, you're going to be robbing citizens of the tools they need to make the decisions fundamental to democracy. Do you see a path where the current state of affairs will actually change in the direction that we're suggesting? I mean, I I see these interviews on programs where they interview the tinfoil hat people. We believe JFK Jr. is the president or some unbelievably crazy stuff, but they actually have read it or heard it somewhere and believe it. Until those places that are spreading this stuff stop spreading it. Where do you see this going? Hey, Ira, how do you know they believe it? How do you know they're not a bunch of big fat liars? Which people? The people listening or the people who are talking? 
what were you going to say, Rosemary? I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say thousands stood in Dealey Square waiting yeah. for John F. Kennedy Jr., who is dead, has died, dies, uh, <laughs> to come and died. appear <laughs> and, and reinstate Donald Trump. They did believe it. Oh, my God. But here's an answer to your question. Is there a hope? And Alan's going to love this answer. There is this legislation which could force Google and Facebook to pay for news content, and it is getting some attention finally. It's going... You've been talking about that for as long as I know you. I have to agree with Alan. We've been talking about this forever, and I think even if it proceeds, it's only going to be a drop in the proverbial bucket, particularly for smaller publications. I don't know. And it's been successful in Australia, and it has yielded already $140 million in revenue for news outlets down there. So do there. you see the possibility that every community newspaper, which is the, still the majority in the country, mm -hmm. or let's pick a number, they would get $50,000 out of that so that they could hire a reporter? Yeah. yeah it could, I mean, because this is the notion of the Journalism Competition Protection Act. It would give journalism organizations like an eight-year exemption from antitrust laws to be able to negotiate payments from Google and Facebook. And let's say these organizations would then join, let's say, the New York Press Association, which Judy Patrick, who's often in this studio, represents and so on. And they could negotiate and return uh, revenue to their members. Two right. words, Mitch McConnell. Never going to happen. <laughs> I was going to say never going to happen. I'm sorry you stole that from I me. Know, but <laughs> co-sponsor is John Kennedy, the conservative senator from Florida. Is that right? Uh, from uh, Louisiana, Louisiana, sorry. And, uh, As and Alan that, would say, him I don't like. <laughs> well, yeah. My that, own life. that with which I agree, however you would say that. <laughs> it's, that's kind of Yoda talk, isn't but it? But again, I, I forget Mitch McConnell. Let's just presume the Democrats are in charge of the Senate and this thing does go through. I just don't see there being a significant amount of money going to the places that mm -hmm. really need it. The big properties are going to make some money on this, but not the little ones. It would exclude the broadcast networks and the big oh, national that's newspapers. That's in the drafting now. But any local outlet that has reporters and produces news would be able to participate, including local outlets like the paper you used to publish, Ira, that are part of a bigger company. The notion is if you spend more than 20% of, I think it is, of your revenue on journalists, uh, you would be qualified. So there is bipartisan support for this because the Republicans are saying, well, we hate big tech companies because they think that they're biased for the left. And the Democrats are saying we hate big tech because they're squelching ordinary citizens' voices and allowing lies. So I think there's a chance here. Anyway, my point was that was answering the question of what's the future. Maybe if you strengthen local media, maybe that brings back the idea of truthfulness and reporting. I don't know. I'm being overly optimistic yeah. here. Rosemary looks I very skeptical. Know. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see on the radio Rosemary's dubious expression. <laughs> yeah, bring that microphone closer to your face, Rosemary. I'm sure folks will be able to tell. But, you know, we'll see. But it is moving to markup. That is the term in Congress for when committees actually work through details of the legislation before bringing it to the floor. Yeah, and I'll give you only one reason for hope regarding the politics of that, this, and that is if a small community newspaper in a senator or congressional district is in danger of closing because their revenue is going away and they, the community itself says to the representative, you got to help these guys out. We want our newspaper. Perhaps they'll, there'll be the, that kind of a groundswell in a smaller level, but uh, otherwise I don't see it. Hmm.
Share your thoughts, people. Media at WAMC.org is how you can get here. Now, we're going to talk to you about something that is of grave concern to reporters just in the way they have to do their job, but which most people sitting at home watching a newscast or reading a paper don't know, and that is the way that often reporters are restricted from access to places where news is being made. Case in point right now is recently Ron DeSantis, the right-wing Republican governor of Florida, traveling around the country to stump for other candidates, in this case going to Pennsylvania for Doug Mastriano, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, who, by the way, subscribes to Trump's big lie, Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania supports the outlandish lie that Donald Trump actually won the presidential election. So anyway, DeSantis and Mastriano are getting together in Pennsylvania, and they've said, yeah, reporters can come in, but you have to agree to let the sponsors see what you record, let them know how you're going to use it. You have to get their permission before you interview anybody. You have to agree not to record anything that's on screen and give the sponsor, which is an organization called Turning Point Action, the final say in all matters. This kind of restriction is, of course, outrageous on this face, right? Yes, and let's remember that DeSantis, if Trump is not the candidate, the Republican candidate, DeSantis may well be, and he may well turn out to be president of the United States. So we should take this kind of utterance seriously. Yeah. So Uh, what's the proper response of journalists to this kind of a restriction? Well, I'll tell you what it is, but you can't say it on the radio. The second word is you. Ah, so you would say, don't go, don't cover this public event where there could be important things said? It's a tough one. I think there is a two-prong approach. One, this is definitely a court matter. I think it's an affront to the First Amendment. It should be pursued in court, even though it could end up before a very unsympathetic, supermajority conservative Supreme Court. It needs to be fought. And second, reporters need to fight back. You don't need to show film. You don't need to show them your notes. You go to these events, you cover it, and then you walk out and you speak into the camera or write a story about what happened, including the censorship and the control and what went on that they did not want you to see that would be my lead of my story yeah i agree i think the the weapon that the the media has in this case is if in fact they choose not to cover it Mm. then the political implication is that the candidate will be dried up from coverage he wants that coverage or he or she wants Uh, are you sure i I disagree yeah Yeah, i'm with you i I don't think they need the coverage anymore if you if you don't show up at the new york times or the washington post even do not show up they go online they go directly to the people now that used to be our weapon it doesn't exist anymore I think what they have to do is fight back with the truth. That's the only weapon that we have left. But that reporting isn't as dynamic. It doesn't have the same power as it would if you had the video, right? If you were actually in there and getting people's voices. Uh, Of course it is. But if they're saying no and uh, if you don't agree to our terms, you can't come in, what are you left with? Right. And then the problem is, of course, they have you in their control because you are then perceived by their political supporters as being biased. Uh, that report That's actually another. then becomes something that the right wing uses to say, see how biased the press is? They're taking us on when all we're trying to do is assure that they're telling the truth. And instead, here they are attacking us. I think it's again. a really serious threat because they do have all the power in this, as, as you've pointed out. But journalists can be lazy, too. I mean, 
how dynamic is video that you get at a meeting? It's people talking. The people get out of the meeting, and then you go talk to them. The press corps in Washington did this for years, moaning and groaning when they weren't getting truthful or good information. You don't need to get it from a meeting. You go get it afterwards. So what you need are good, enterprising reporters also on short supply because we don't have money to pay them. We have beginners who barely can speak up without, you know, their knees knocking together. So in every way, we're in a weakened position, but there are ways to fight back. You know, actually, this reminds me of a great lesson that I learned from Allison Mitchell, who was a Newsday colleague of mine, became the national editor of the New York Times. Uh, She was a a fine political reporter, now retired from the Times. But when she was working for Newsday, it was not as likely that people would return phone calls. She used to say, if I call an assistant secretary of defense, he comes back from lunch and he finds four pink slips. Those That's how, you know, when you are out, mm-hmm. those little slips that you used to say, who do you, he's got CBS News, New York Times, Washington Post, and Newsday. She said, I'm going to be the the last, last one. one. He's he not going to call me. So you learn in that circumstance to go to other sources. You learn to right. go around to find not necessarily the most important sources, the people who would be your on-camera people, but the people who actually have information from different places. It makes you a better reporter. So, Rex, is there something you can tell our audience that you did, or Ira, or Rosemary, that you did when you were really ticked off at a non-responsive source? What's the way you get to them? Is there punishment that you can put on them? Nothing more satisfying than knowing the law. There are very strong laws for access in the United States. So if I would have a meeting in Suffolk, Virginia, say, and they held a secret meeting, I had sources who told me they were meeting, and I would show up at their secret place with a copy of the law and say, you're in violation. (laughs) I'm calling our lawyer or let me in. Or they would say, no, I'm not going to tell you who our donors are. And I would say, well, do you know what a 990 is in the IRS regulations? They go, we're going to call our lawyer. And I would say, please do. And he's going to tell you that you owe me not just one, but three years of those records. And I'll have them by tomorrow. Thank you. We'll talk later. And you won because <laughs> the law was on your side. Journalists in America have huge weapons and we have to use them. We don't need to be spoon fed. We have been because we have politicians who up to now have been receptive to the press and see the value of talking to people. So what's your it's assessment? The politicians who have changed, so not what's the your reporters. Ass- so what's your assessment, Rosemary? Of uh, what? My assessment uh, uh, of what? Of <laughs> what reporters do to fight back. Do you think they it's fight bad? back. That's what they do. They, they don't tell the sit truth. back and whine. They, the truth and the law are on their side. So do you think they're sitting back and whining or do you think that they're using the, the tools at their disposal? I think that they are fighting back, but so far I would say the politicians are winning. DeSantis came off of this fight. He's got the upper hand right now. I don't want it to continue, but that's what I would say right now. Do you agree, Ira? Yeah, and I think that we have reached a place in this country where the public writ large is not on our side, that exactly what you suggested needs to be done to confront these people, it can be spun around as the big bad media is unfairly going after us. And even if that's not true, which it's not, the public is more than willing to accept that criticism. And what makes you so sure it is not? In other words, that there aren't times that a newspaper who doesn't like somebody, maybe I could name a few in the recent election, but maybe I won't, what makes you think that the media doesn't start picking on people? 
Uh, well, you're suggesting retribution for politicians who do these kinds of things to us, and I suggest that it's human nature to want to be retributive, but I don't think it happens to the degree you might think. I think, generally speaking, we are not looking to do anything other than report the news, not to... And not the we to, is... Does the we, we the, the, well, the legacy media, I would yeah, say. Yeah, the straightforward yeah. media. I think that's true, and, 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 you know, you can take the side of the politicians if you want to, Alan, you know, and say yeah. that the media are out to get them those poor, poor... Well, there are politicians, I believe, that the media is out to get, and I'm sure that the people sitting on the other side of the radio agree with me. Who? Who? Well, you want a name? Yeah. Agnes Murgatroyd. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that where Ralph Crandon lived on Murgatroyd Street? I think it must be. Poor Agnes. Well, That's the fact fake that, news. The fact that we don't know about her is because the media the got media, her. See? Yeah, they I'm, got Alan, her. They won. I think, I think you must be right, Alan. I think <laughs> Agnes would otherwise be a highly ranked political figure. Somewhere today. in America there is an, an Agnes Murgatroyd, and I'm sure somebody is checking their... I would say that we do now. the opposite, that we yes. give... Politeness yeah. and discretion and respect to people who do not deserve it in politics. Herschel Walker. Yeah, a Herschel Walker. People, we have too many trees? Come on. People don't call out and say, what the hell kind of ignorant statement yeah. is that? You know, because he's the Republican nominee for the United States Senate. He may well become a U.S. senator. And so Dr. journalists Oz, bend over backwards. Dr. Oz, a snake oil salesman well, you who doesn't a... know the name of Wegner's. Give me a break. You have a congresswoman in this, in this listening area who doesn't come on this radio station. Now, we're critical of her on the opinion shows, but if there is a story that requires her comment, this station is not saying, ah, we're not going to bother. We give her an opportunity. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's retribution, Alan, that is practiced in legitimate media. So you don't think the New York Times ever has people that they really like and really push and people, nah, not so much. No. You don't agree with that? No, I don't think that the news columns are that way at all. I would say that a story could appear on page 1 or page 14, might appear on page 14, but that'd still be covered. So in that sense, there may be that in the back of their minds. I don't know. I don't know who that they would be. We are out of time, and that means we have to take off. But you can hear us again next week at the same time, or you can get us anytime at WAMC.org. It's the Media Project. Alan Shartuck, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith, with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us this week week on The Media Project.